Antic Heart, Chapter 18 riding, I catch up with Lucy. I need not have worried about her travelling alone. She has borrowed a footman from her brother-in-law's London household, who is riding awkwardly beside her. When I see them just ahead, I call out so as not to alarm them. They stop and wait for me to join them. Lucy is not pleased. So what took you so long, Henry? I swear you have been with that woman for a couple of hours. The footman, who had been looking bored, starts to listen. Lucy, noticing this, dismisses him and tells him to ride back to London. We stay silent while he wheels his horse around and trots off towards the city. As soon as he is out of earshot, Lucy starts. I cannot Believe that you took that woman's part, Henry. She cannot be a spy, but she must be the most boring woman I have ever met. So you realise that she's innocent in this? I'm almost shouting at her. Why did you treat her like that? She's a decent woman and did not deserve your contempt. But she does deserve your attentions, eh, Henry? Lucy observes spikily. I turn on her. So you're jealous, Lucy. I cannot believe it. You, who are such a free spirit, you're jealous of a merchant's widow. I'm glad you know what it feels like. Girl whimpers and pushes himself against me in the saddle. Our argument is making him uneasy. I'm not jealous, but I have a right to know what you, my servant, were doing for all of that time. Again, she is the grand lady. I am not your servant. I spur my horse to ride ahead of her. I do not wish to talk with her anymore. But she shouts, you are my secretary, or had you forgotten? I did not reply. I maintain my distance from her, although I make sure I do not leave her behind. We reach Penshurst after a couple of hours. I have not spoken with Lucy during our ride, although she continues shouting at me for some time. I slide off my horse, take Girl from the saddle and help Lucy dismount, all the time maintaining an icy silence. She hurries towards the house while I take the horses to the stables. When I arrive back at the house, I can see no sign of her. The bored footman who let me in has no doubt admitted her a few minutes earlier. I guess she's gone to her room. I'm still very angry with her and I would like to go and confront her. But that would be risky now that she is using her rank against me. 
Who knows, she could dismiss me from the house and maybe even from the king's service. Fuming against the injustice of it all, I nevertheless make my way to my room and try to sleep. As dawn breaks, I can hear the subdued autumn songs of the birds, punctuated by girls' gentle snoring. I get up, wash and put a fresh shirt on. I know that I have to speak with Lucy. I cannot leave Penshurst at the moment. But for me, the glamour has gone from the place. It was once a firmament in which Lucy was the brightest star. But the starlight has dimmed. She keeps me waiting all day. I ask a servant whether she has risen and I'm told she is resting until midday. Afterwards, her rising from bed takes around three hours. I know that this can happen. Maybe she will have her hair washed in rose water. Her maid will dry it gently and then curl it into ringlets on either side of her face. Then she will spend an hour trying on different gowns before she decides on the right one. Even then, she may decide to read an improving text or dip into one of John Donne's poems. I know my Lucy. No one will hurry her. It is past three when I'm called to her. I leave girl with the kitchen staff who will give him all the leftovers from dinner and walk briskly up the stairs. I arrive at Lucy's chamber and push the door open. She is sitting there in a fine blue gown with her mask on and smoking her pipe. She does not ask me to sit. I bow and wait. So, Henry, you believe that Judith Pettigrew is innocent, she says, challenging, as though this was a belief that no one of any sense could possibly believe. My lady, you said as much last night. Knowing the lady as I do, I would wager my life that she is not a threat to the king. Lucy looks dubious. But what proof do you have? I'm not going to share Judith's story with her. Judith's romance was an innocent one and deserves to be respected as such. I look at Lucy. Come on now, Lucy. You know and I know that this lady is not our spy. We must look elsewhere. Lucy nods. Thank heavens. She's willing to let go of this one. Henry, let us have some wine and talk further. She gestures to a table, whereas there is a flagon of wine with two goblets. Pour us both a large helping. It is good wine and we need it. I comply, and after I've given her some, I stand in front of her with my goblet full. For heaven's sake, Henry, sit down. I can't concentrate with you looming over me like that. I raise my eyebrows slightly and obey her. The wine is good and I take a deep draught. How strange, Henry, that I was jealous of you with that little housewife, Lucy muses. But I realised last night that it was just your kind heart. You could not leave her weeping. Of course you could not. 
It's not the way you do things. I stay silent. I'm not going to contradict her on this. We need to decide what to do next, Lucy, I say, looking her straight in the face. Of course we do. But first, maybe a little fun? She takes off her mask and directs a wide smile at me. If I didn't know her as I do, I could describe her as being winsome. I refuse to give in. Lucy, we fled to France because you heard there was a spy in the network. Who told you that? How did you find out? Lucy pouts and takes another drink of wine. Henry, it is all too boring. I don't want to talk about it now. Why not, Lucy? A thought has occurred to me. Lucy was told about the spy. Who told her? Is she protecting someone? Or maybe she even is the spy herself. However angry I am with her, I cannot believe she would betray the king. He has, very politely, rejected her. But I suspect her love for him remains undimmed. I wonder if she is already planning how to return to his affections. Henry, come to my chamber, please. It's been a miserable week and I need someone to cheer me up. We can talk later about this, I promise. She looks at me and her eyes twinkle with invitation. Let us drink first, I concede. She has won, but before I go with her, I need a belly full of wine. That night, we get through three flagons of wine four spiced pheasant patties and handfuls of dried fruit. We are increasingly merry and our embraces are interleaved with laughter. It is hard to hate Lucy. It is unwise to love her, but I cannot help but like her. We both know we may not see each other again and the merriment of the night dissipates as the morning approaches. And that is when we talk. Lucy, for once, is not flirting or scheming. She talks honestly, maybe for the first time with me. And I finally understand. I try to creep out of the room at dawn, but she wakes and stops me for one more embrace. Then she takes a pouch of coins from the table beside the bed and presses it into my hands. You will need this, I shake my head. No, this is your wages, she insists. And please, Henry, take this to remember me by. She pulls a gold signet ring from her finger and places it onto mine. We had fun, you and I, and I wish you well. Thank you, Lucy, but she puts a finger to my mouth. Shh, I have not always been kind to you. Allow me to make a recompense. She kisses me full on the lips for a moment and then slaps my bottom. Now go. Godspeed, Henry. I blow her a kiss and leave her chamber, maybe for the last time. I leave Penshurst in the middle of the morning. Lucy has left instructions for me to be provided with a horse and some food for my journey. After a night in the kitchen, 
girl's belly feels full and he is very sleepy. When I take him outside and put him on the saddle, he objects strongly, struggling to get free. I hold him down and spur the horse. He settles as we ride down the drive and out through the imposing gates of Penshurst. We reach Canterbury by nightfall and I find an inn for the night. Thanks to Lucy's money, I am able to to afford an establishment with soft beds and good food. I feel calm, completely without anxiety now, and I enjoy my supper of beef stew. After a few glasses of good red wine, I head upstairs with the dog following me. We both sleep well, girl curled up at my feet. The next morning we leave early on our way to Dover. I am getting to know this route well, and I enjoy looking at the countryside and the small, quiet villages as I pass. Once in Dover, I set off for Thomas Lewis's house on the outskirts of town. It has been six months since I saw Thomas and Elizabeth Lewis, but their welcome is as warm as it was then. I sit down with them to a meal of thick, home-cured ham, soft bread and apples. Elizabeth pours us all tankards of a strong, slightly sour cider. So, how art thee, young man? Hast thou accomplished what thou set out to do? Thomas Lewis asked politely, without any real expectation of a detailed answer. I tell him that my business in England has indeed finished, but that I may return at another time. And how goes it with Orlando? We have a king in all but name here now, in the Lord Protector. He does well. Like all of us, his state is transitory. Who knows what the next years will bring? I remember the king and the sadness behind his eyes. Wherever he is, he cannot escape his destiny. Thomas shakes his head. This terrible war. So many died. And what for? I hope that God's peace will prevail. We all hope that, Master Lewis, I answer, and I hope to return and see England at peace very soon. Thou wilt always be welcome, Henry. Elizabeth lays her hand on my arm. Whatever is happening in this country, this house will always be open to thee. I thank her, and the conversation turns to the problems that the Quakers are experiencing under the Commonwealth. Thomas Lewis tells me that increasingly they are being prosecuted by the authorities. We are peaceful people, Henry. All we wish for is peace to practice our own faith. Why should that threaten anyone? I answer that I favour toleration in all things, but that those in power seem to want everyone to conform and always have done. Thou art right, Henry. But I hope we are moving towards a new way of thinking. We all reach God in our own way. We all of us have the light of God inside us, Henry. I believe he delights in our different colours and brightnesses of light. Girl, who has been asleep by the fire, starts to snuffle and his legs twitch. Thomas Lewis smiles and continues... 
Animals are also bathed in the light of God. I think that this is foolish, but then I look at Girl and concede that he has more of a soul than many human beings that I have met. We sleep curled together that night, Girl's soft white curls tickling my face. I tell myself that it is against the cold, but I'm also feeling a flush of love for this little dog who has followed me throughout all my incarnations. He wakes me early and we prepare to go down to the docks. Thomas Lewis accompanies us with Matthew carrying my saddlebags. As Girl and I wave from the upper deck, the two of them stand by the quayside waving. After a stormy three days at sea, we arrive at Calais early in the evening. I use some of Lucy's money to pay for an inn for the night and to hire a horse for the following day. Two days later, we're back in Paris and I head for Edward Hyde's office. As usual, he's sitting at his desk, surrounded by papers and with a large goblet of wine by his side. Girl and I burst in, but he's unsurprised, raising his head and looking me up and down. Ah, oh, Henry, good to see you. Here, have some wine. He pours me a goblet and gestures for me to sit down. Girl snuffles around his feet until Hyde gives him a far from gentle kick. Girl whimpers and goes to sit in the corner of the room. Damn dogs, Hyde swears. I hate them. It's not enough for the ladies to have little puking lap dogs, but the gallants now must have them. I blame Prince Rupert. And then the king doesn't help either with his spaniels weeing all over the place. Girl does not wee inside, I tell Hyde. He is very well trained. Eh? Hyde is puzzled, but doesn't pursue it. Now tell me, what have you discovered in England? Are our networks safe? And what of the pendant? How did that housewife get hold of it? And is she to be trusted? I tell Hyde all I know about Judith Pettigrew and he looks down silently at his desk. I see, a sad story. Not that I regret sending Lucy to investigate. It was necessary. But I will make sure she is allowed to continue in peace now. She will not be visited again. Then he looks at me and his eyes are sharp. This must remain secret between us both. I would not answer for the consequences should the Queen find out. Do not share this with anyone, even your mother. Of course, I do not wish to bring unnecessary pain to Her Majesty, especially as the whole affair came to nothing in the end. Hyde nods and looks well pleased. He takes another drink of wine. Now he starts to question me about spies. Had I found a spy? What had I learnt? I answer non-committally. I have learnt where the weak spot is in the network and it will be no more. Hyde presses me to tell him more, but I will not. I am sworn to secrecy, I protest, but I can tell you there is no more danger. He presses me increasingly irritably, but I refuse to say more. At last he stands up angrily. Girl cowers and runs to shelter behind me. 
You're in my employ, and yet you will not tell me. And you a slip of a lad. You have no respect, Henry. I shall take this further, rest assured. Now go and take your damned dog with you. I leave hurriedly with girl and walk briskly through the streets to my mother's house. I'm disquieted by his response, but I cannot share this secret with him. I know. I hope that he will soon recover from his displeasure and find me another job to do. But I'm not optimistic. My mother is different now. When I appear in the doorway of her kitchen, she drops her wooden spoon and rushes to take me into her arms. I hug her, smelling the scent of stewed apples and cinnamon. My child, thank God you are returned. Oh, I have missed you, my dear. She will never call me Henry, not even after all these years. She bends down to girl who wags his tail hopefully at her. I'm even pleased to see you. Here, have a piece of bread, fresh made this morning. She tears off a hunk from the loaf and holds it out. Girl leaps up and takes it, wetting her hands with his velvety tongue. She turns to me and grimaces, holding her hands up. Dogs, she complains. Still, you're both welcome. I hope you will be able to stay for a while. I frown. That may happen, mother. I do not think Edward Hyde will give me any work for a good few months. I sit down at the table, suddenly feeling very tired. My mother is surprisingly cheerful. Thank goodness! I do not wish you to take on these dangerous missions. I know they were dangerous. Don't deny it. I say nothing. If I had been discovered by Oliver Cromwell's forces... It would have been dangerous, but none of the people I had met in England had been any threat to me. A threat to my heart, maybe, but not to my life. We sit at the table and eat. My mother presses food on me and even fills a bowl full of water for girl. I find her change of mood quite strange. Drink, she urges me, refilling my tankard. I hold up my hand. No more, mother, I'll fall asleep. Why not sleep? Take a rest, my dear, you have time. She pats my hand. I'll look after, girl. You go to the bedchamber and lie down. I'm curious about her attitude, but I have to admit I am tired. I drain my tankard, stand up and kiss my mother on the head. I will sleep then, for just an hour or so, then I must go out. I make my way up the rickety stairs. I hear my mother trying to coax girl to stay, but in vain. He joins me on the stairs and we go together into the chamber. I fling myself on the bed and girl jumps up to join me. Although it is light and the street outside is busy, we both sleep. I wake and lie on the bed, wondering what to do next. I am not expecting a summons from Edward Hyde any time soon. Soon we will run out of money and I need to find another source of income very soon. I decide to go and see Lady Mountjoy. I slip out of the house, closely followed by a girl. 
we're admitted at once to her parlour. She's looking well. She has maybe become a little plumper, but it suits her. She looks up from her card game as I enter and beams at me. Henry, how good to see you! And you, you little rascal! She bends and gives a rapturous girl a stroke. Wait a moment while we finish this game. Help yourself to some wine. She waves at a side table, where there's a flagon of wine and several goblets. I do not hesitate. Lady Mountjoy keeps one of the best cellars in Paris. The wine is, as I expected, subtle and smooth, with a scent of apples. The other three people playing are three young men. Lady Mountjoy introduces me to them, Marcel, Francis and Louis. They look about 18, with still fresh faces and full heads of hair. I wonder if they are students from the Sorbonne. One of them, Marcel, is dark, with olive skin. The other two as fair as Englishmen. Marcel is chatty. I notice he compliments Lady Mountjoy often. She responds in poor French, blushing as she looks at him. The blonde boys win and pick up the coins from the table. Lady Mountjoy scolds them. We'll win it all back tomorrow. Now leave me, gentlemen. I have to talk with my friend. She waves her hand at me, drinking my second goblet of wine. The young men leave in a flurry of hand-kissing and fine words, exiting quickly through the main door. I hear their footsteps echoing on the stairs. Lady Mountjoy turns to me. Well, Henry, how good to see you. I had quite forgot what you looked like. She comes up to me, takes me in her arms and kisses me on the lips. I wonder at this. She has never been so confident with me before. Girl jumps up as we embrace. But then Lady Mountjoy pulls back and goes to the door where she calls for a servant to bring more wine and spiced biscuits. So, my dear boy, what have you been up to? She asks. Top secret business, no doubt. You're quite the schemer, are you not? Not in regard to you, my lady. My feelings for you have been quite real. I am grave, serious when I look at her. You have loyalty, she agrees. How is your mother? Is she managing well? This is a not too subtle reference to her role in maintaining my mother and myself. Yes, my lady, and she sends her regards and thanks to you for your continued support. Lady Mountjoy pours us both some more wine. I'm very pleased to hear that. She smooths out her skirts. Before you go, I will give you a purse of money that should last you both several months. She's formal, almost businesslike. But Henry, I must tell you, I have a new gallant. I'm so sorry I could not save myself for you, but you're away so often. And Marcel is in Paris all the time. She's apologetic. I take her hand in mine. Girl growls quietly to himself. Forget the money, my lady, but do not leave me alone. I've hurried back to Paris just to see you. I judge that it is best to show my grief at the loss of her, not the loss of her funds. You mean so much to me. 
It is the thought of you that has kept me going through all the dangers and privations of the last few months. I feel tears pricking in my eyes. She need not know that it is at the prospect of having no money that has upset me. Henry, I know you love me, but you cannot give me what I need. Marcel is handsome, is he not? Very handsome, my lady, I agree. But does he love you? How did you meet him? I curse him inwardly. He attends my church. I saw him once at the church gate and smiled. The next Sunday he was there with a rose. A rose? Damn cheek of that young man. Yes, the most beautiful red rose. I do not believe you ever bought me a rose, Henry. No, but I brought you a great deal more. My lady, had I known you loved them, I would have brought you one hundred. I resolved to bring ten roses round the next day. No, you could not afford that, Henry. Don't try to outdo Marcel. It was his thoughtfulness that struck me. And this thoughtful man, has he had his way with you? I warn you, he will not be as careful of your reputation as I am. Henry, we are living in different times now. Who cares about my reputation? I am well provided for. I answer to no one. She has at last realised that she is only responsible to herself. She stands up and holds her hand out to me. I kiss it as lingeringly as I can. Then she walks over to the chest in the corner, opens it and pulls out a purse that is full of coins. Here, Henry, please do not refuse this. I do not wish to leave you and your mother in want. I take it and say bitterly, You had this prepared for me. She smiles. Indeed I did, Henry. I knew you would return at some time. Please take it. I wish you well. And who knows, maybe I will see you when I am at the theatre with Marcel. I have to leave with dignity. I bow deeply and go to the door. Pausing there, I say, I will have no companion for the theatre without you, my lady. Oh, I'm sure you'll find one. She sits down and turns away from me. It is clear she has no further need for me. I whistle for girl and we walk down the stairs together.